Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby! Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. If you're a regular visitor to Las Vegas, and I mean somebody that comes several times a year and likes outdoor activities, you know the desert can be an incredible place. And if you don't, you got to check this guy out. With us today is Daniel Clark. His company is called Rogue Hiking, but don't get scared. It's really something you can do and uh, have fun with. And Daniel, we're doing this, of uh, course, in the uh, middle of the summer. Yes. This is a little bit different time for you, right? I mean, you're not out there at 1 o'clock, are you? Or, you know, hiking when it's 110 no. or something. No, we're, we're currently in the summertime, we're doing a 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. tour. Oh, that makes sense. I guess it's kind of like golf, right? Where at the, you know, that type of day, you got to stop. And then in the wintertime, though, you pretty much go, I, I guess, all, all day, right? Yeah, we can do several tours a day, starting at, uh, depending on the light, we can start at 7 a.m., and we can fit in up to four tours a day. Well, you're going to teach people a lot about the topography out here, the history, and so forth. Let's talk a little about you first, though. You kind of grew up with nature, right? I mean, this is something that you've been passionate about really since the earliest days. Sure. I was, I was raised on a farm in the Midwest, northern Illinois, and uh, part of the farm was lowland floodplain just east of the Mississippi River. And as a child, me and my dog would go out and walk along the drainage ditches and, you know, with the, all the wildlife, white-tailed deer and beaver and, and the ducks and everything. And it was just, it, that was like the, the solitude to get away from people and just go out and enjoy nature. And it's kind of like Mark Twain, right? We had the Mississippi just calls you. You knew that you were going to do something there. You know, it eventually it did call me. When I left the farm, um, I basically went to the river looking for work, and I, went, I was going to be hired on as a barge hand is what I wanted to do, working on towboats, and they told me I was too small. And I, I told them, I said, you know, I'm a farm kid. Give me your gear. Put me to the test, and I'll go out there, and I'll carry it the length of the tow. And they're like, no, you're too small. So I went home. I was kind of depressed, and I was living with my, living with my parents on the farm, and my mother suggested, she's like, well, if you want to work on the river, why don't you go to the casino boat? And you could probably wear a nice uniform, and you might be able to meet some girls and not be surrounded by sweaty guys all day. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's appealing, right? <laughs> so I walked up, and they just happened to be looking for a deckhand. And I got hired as an entry-level deckhand on a casino boat. That's great. So who knew that the world of the casinos and stuff, although you're not in a casino here, but you're around them, certainly. How did you get out to Nevada? Well, I spent, uh, like I said, I started on the casino boat. I was there for nine and a half years. Uh, had my captain's license in 17 months. So I was eight years as a captain and was vacationing in Las Vegas, as many people do. And in the late 90s, me and my girlfriend at the time came out. And in 1997, we were staying at the Excalibur and saw a, an advertisement uh, brocard brochure for the Desert Princess on Lake Mead. 
And we thought, well, there's a lake nearby. Let's go check that out, right? As a boat captain, I got to check that out. I got to see this boat. So we went out in 97 to ride the boat, and we actually just missed the boat. As we were pulling up, they blew the horn. They took off from the dock. I I record on VHS tape. I'm like, there there it goes. So we came back the next year, 98, and we got on the boat. And we were four people on the 10 a.m. tour. And as we were heading into the dam, walked by the pilot house, and I had a crew shirt on from the casino boat in the Midwest. And the captain opened the window, and he said, you know, we started this conversation. Yeah. And I said, man, this would be like a great retirement job. I could come out and do this. He's like, why wait for retirement? He's like, you know, just apply. He's like, I'm actually going to Lake Tahoe, and we're going to be hiring people. So I, I went home, emailed the company, started a conversation with the sales manager, and sent my resume nothing really happened with it and for five years i'm sitting in the midwest on a casino boat thinking this could be fun and at that point the casino boats were starting to downsize the cruise responsibilities you used to have to cruise you know every two hours you were two hours Mm -hmm. dockside two hours underway and that got reduced to a hundred cruises a year was your only obligation which companies then did so as one of four captains yeah. <laughs> on a boat, see that's going. I got 20 cruises a year. So you're sitting there really not doing what you wanted to do. So after that's five years cool. of thinking about it, yeah, I moved out here, actually brought my houseboat from the Mississippi River, hauled it out to Lake Mead, walked it up to Lake Mead Cruises with a resume and a cover letter. And within three days in town, they interviewed me, and they said, we're looking for a part-time captain. That's outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing of being a captain like that you made it sound like it didn't take you all that long i thought that was a little more involved what what was that process you know well the process basically is you have to do time on the boat uh license size that you're applying for which is in in my instance was a hundred ton master's license so as a deckhand when i started we were cruising every two hours so you got a lot of sailing time so i quickly acquired the time and first i got my mate's license which only takes 180 days mm-hmm. of now four-hour cruises. So I had my mate's license, and then when I had the 360 days required for the master's, it's really just filing paperwork. Cool. So how do you get from the world on the water, so to speak, to uh, climbing the hills and walking around on the ground? Well, that kind of came out of um, from, from Lake Mead. I ended up going to Alaska for the past five summers. I was in Alaska. First three years, we were doing transports to a glacier, the Davidson Glacier, uh, west of Haines. And then the last two years, last two summers, I was in Juneau doing whale watching. So I was subjected to tourism in Alaska, the cruise ship industry. And with my tourism experience on Lake Mead, taking people out on the Desert Princess, and then taking people out in southeast Alaskan waters, um... It was a whole different tourism package. Yeah. And it, it was all about the experience. You know, you're taking people to the glacier, you're taking people out and seeing the whales. And while I was up there, I did some uh, hikes because most companies do hikes up there. And I was kind of disappointed as I went on these hikes within a couple of different companies that they really weren't educating people at the level that I expected them to. 
You know, right. We, we, it's we, the experience part again, right? Where you want somebody to leave with more than just I went for a hike. Right. And it kind of was like they were just giving exercise to tourism, you know, to cruise ship passengers. We're out there walking through the Tongass National Forest, second largest rainforest in the world, the largest temperate rainforest. And you're walking down a path and there are, there's moss just covering the ground, you know, and vines coming down and, and, and all kinds of nature that you're just walking through and people were not educating us on that. Yeah, you're really missing something there because it's an incredible experience, but how much more incredible when you realize some of the things, what's going on here and how unusual it is and how right. you're right in the middle of it. Right, and, and there, a lot of the tour guides up there are very, very knowledgeable, but due to time restraints, they're kind of quickly going down a path because there's another group coming behind them because it's a very busy right. situation. And I thought, how how cool it could be if a company would just slow it down, take a section of it, not even go that far, but just teach people about what they're walking right. through. And so the more I thought about it, I thought, why is nobody doing that in a desert? Because when I moved out here 17 years ago, I quickly realized how much life is in a desert. You know, I've been, I've been walking the western shoreline of Lake Mead for 17 years on my own. And you go, if you step off trail... There's all kinds of wildlife, plants that are surviving there with four inches of annual precipitation. There's not a lot of water. The plants are living, and that interested me. And I thought, through my own interest and self-teaching myself, I thought, why not? Yeah. Share this with other people. Well, first of all, it's a great parallel to like what you were talking about in Alaska, where if you think of people on a cruise ship and so forth, and they're kind of into that whole experience, that excursion is something they didn't go for that. But wow, this is a different thing. Same thing here. People come out to Vegas to gamble and eat and drink and all that. But to come out in the daytime uh, for people that like nature and even the people that don't, I I think you're right in the sense that the desert is so different and underappreciated. The beauty out here is really unique. It really is. And, And there's so much out there. Like I was just saying, there's so much that if you step off the road, driving down the road, you can't see it. You know, you're not, you're not going to see the, the lizards and the jackrabbits and the quail and everything that's out there. But if you park the car and you step off and you start walking across what looks like barren desert, you'll be surprised what's out there. Oh, I'll bet. Well, you know, jackrabbit. I saw a rabbit at one of those things. Those are different rabbits, folks. You're a little scared of those rabbits. They look at you in a different way than the little bunny does hopping across your uh, residential street, right? I mean, just, it's just a different it's their It's their world. Right. And we have, we have the black black-tailed uh, jackrabbit here, mm-hmm. which is a very unique type of rabbit. It um, has a very large ears, and it's actually got its name from earlier, you know, pioneers that, that first saw them said they looked like jackasses, like, like donkeys. <laughs> yeah. So they called, them, they called them jackrabbits. That's how they got their That's name. That's they came. Well, first of all, the company's name is Rogue Hiking. And when I first heard that, I thought to myself, okay, this sounds, my immediate thought was, okay, this guy's going to do some off-the-grid stuff. Actually, though, when I found out what rogue actually means, it's great. I want you to kind of go through it because when you understand what those each letter means, you really get kind of the key of what you're doing before you even start. Correct. It's, it's an acronym. 
It's raw, outdoor, guided, unique, educational hiking. It, yeah, and, 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 and the unique we, part kind of goes through the other four letters, right? You, right. The unique's the important part. Right. We, we go off trail with, with minimal disturbance. It's important. You know, we did get permission from the National Park to do that. And they realized, you know, we're doing it from a professional point of view. And you really have to be careful, you know, not to disturb things. But it's the off-trail thing that, that like I just said, I, I, I did not want to just p- take people down a public trail. Right. You know, I, I didn't want They that could do that themselves, it. right, in a exactly. sense. Exactly. You're kind of responsible for this. You know what you're going into. Is there like a little part before you start, maybe a few minutes, where you just go, all right, here are some of the rules of the outdoors? Yeah, we do a safety message before we start, and we prep people and tell them how to approach with minimal disturbance, you know, and and you don't want people shuffling their feet and pulling on plants. And, of course, we don't have any pets. We don't want any, you know, dogs out there scaring the wildlife, even if you got the, the best behaved dog in the world you know that jackrabbit doesn't know what that dog's going to do he's never seen it and we don't want to disturb things now is there any kind of dangerous things that people have to be aware of of course you know how to deal with but is there something they need to look out for snakes or anything like that well you know the snakes are out there but for one thing they're you know they're they're not really out during the day that much and unlike you know people that don't know snakes don't realize they don't want to attack you yeah, they want you to leave, right? Wildlife does not want to attack you. Yeah. They'd prefer that you leave. So they're going to, to lay there stealthily, you know, and, yeah. and within the rocks. You can find them. I mean, if you want right. to find a rattlesnake, I can help you find one, but it's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. But isn't when you hear the rattle, it's really the snake saying, like, it's warning. warning. Yeah, it's a warning. <laughs> and it, like I said, I've been hiking out there for 17 years. I've heard one rattlesnake on a bicycle ride between Lake Mead and Lake Las Vegas. I've, I've been hiking. I've never seen one, never heard one. Now, how many people do you take in your groups? Up to 12. And that seems like a good number, right? Because if you get too big, then you get... And that's, that's mandated by the Park Service. Ah, okay. You need, you need at least one guide for every 12 people. In a moment, you'll hear more from Daniel Clark, founder of Rogue Hiking. But first... When you visit Las Vegas, you're always looking for fun things to do. And I think one thing you got to put on your list is the Neon Museum. It's fantastic. What a way to learn the history of Las Vegas, but by the signs that go back all the way to the 1930s. The lobby, in fact, is a restored shell from the old La Concha Motel. It's a lot of fun. The staff there is incredible. Really unique Las Vegas experience. So you can learn the history and have a blast. Go to neonmuseum.org. That's neonmuseum.org. You are listening to Daniel Clark, founder of Rogue Hiking, a great way to experience the Nevada desert. Education part, to me, that jumped out because I haven't been on it. I'd love to go on it sometime. And the thing I'm so interested in is the whole idea of Hoover Dam. I mean, you get into things like what the workers were doing and it was in the Depression. There's really a lot to it that's not just nature-based. Right. It's, it's the human story. We cover that on the tours because, you know, people can go do the Hoover Dam tour. You can do the dam tour. You can get on the Desert Princess. You can do the water tour. But we're really the only one doing a land right. tour. And we, through my own investigation, I have gone out and I have found some of the original campsites 
We had families living in the desert. And that's something that people, even if you do the tours, they don't cover that as extensively as we do. You know, 1929, word came out that they were going to build Hoover Dam. And it was Great Depression. The onset of the Great Depression. Right, you got to get out there. And people came from across the country to get a job. And they arrived in Las Vegas. And back then, Vegas was Fremont Street from the depot where the plaza is to Fifth Street. And there wasn't much else. So people were arriving there, and everybody's like, you know, this. We there's no office here. There's no employment office. You guys want work? Head down to the Colorado River to the dam site. So people started migrating out here, and some of them had little. You know, they were show, oh, yeah. they were showing up in in old cars with mattresses strapped to the top. They were abandoning the the plains. You know, and you had the dust bowl going on. Farming was dying. People were coming west. And we had families living in the dirt between Boulder City and Lake Mead. And we have photographic evidence of that. We have, you know, it became Ragtown. Thousands of people were out there. So we know where they were. And through my own investigation, I've come across these huge fire rings that are like 12, 15 feet in diameter that are very, it's, it's obvious that it was made for a large group of people. And one of them I actually found old metal cans in Wow, <laughs> that have been out there since, yeah. since 1929. Wow. Well, this is kind of grapes of wrath stuff, except much more challenging to live. I mean, poor is, poor is one thing. Poor out in the middle of 110 degree weather and so right. forth. And, and there was a lot of deaths. There, there was. There was a, there's one report of three or four different women Dying within one day. Wow. 120 degrees in the shade. Yeah, you, how do you, how did they get by there? It's almost, it's just not meant to be lived in like that. Right. It was tough times and people were desperate and, you know, it was the American spirit. But their heat prostration was the problem. And we had people getting very ill, people dying in a desert, you know, that are laying between creosote bushes with old blankets across the top, makeshift tents or plywood or tin shacks, which just, you know, absorbed the heat. So it was a doctor on the East Coast that heard about this, and he realized they were going through salt depletion. So that's when salt tablets were first used at Hoover Dam, and they realized they had to replenish these people's salt in order for them to survive. They were, they were depleted of salt, and they, wow. were, they were dying from heat prostration. Yeah, I mean, thank God. And, and, and obviously the people doing that, I mean, the, the ones that were a little better off were in Boulder City and so forth. So these were the poorest of the poor, I assume, that were out and it, there. It, it was the early people. You know, the government, what, they had the plan for Boulder City early, but they really didn't start building a town until like 1931. So for two years, these people were out there trying to survive. A lot of people showed up and didn't stay long. They stayed a few days and they took off and continued on to California. It was yeah. really only the strongest of the strong that, you know, there's, there's stories of five-month-old babies being out there. There's no fresh produce. There's no fresh milk. It was canned food. And these yeah. people survived. Wow. 
like you say, it was really a tribute to the American spirit and something. What, what better way to learn about the Depression than to go on one of these hikes and just get a feel for this? Because that kind exactly. of encapsulate the whole spirit of the country for those 10 years or so. Exactly. You, you know, like I said, I can take people to that exact campsite where those cans still are. And you can stand there and I can tell you the story and tell you the things that they went through. And you can stand there and try to imagine it. You know, yeah. even today, with it being, you know, 105 degrees, if you went out there right now, you'd be like, how did they do this? Right. I mean, we're, oh my God, for, you know, 20 minutes without air conditioning, we can't live like this. And, Correct. Uh, but again, it's just, it's, it's amazing what people will do. When, and it was a, it was a strong group of people, let's it, face it. It was, and they had no choice. It was, it was survival. So this is fun. And do you personally enjoy meeting these people? Because I, I'm a, I'm imagining that you're getting people from all over the country, different folks. Sure. And this is probably isn't what they had in mind when they were going to go out to Las Vegas. I think this might be a little different than what they expected. It's a lot different. And, and like I said, nobody else is really doing it. So I'm I'm very fortunate and thankful that the Park Service gave me the permit to do it. Yeah, you know, that's I, great. I presented the story and the idea to them. And I actually presented the idea to them a, a year before I started the company. And they were on board. So how long have you been doing these tours? The company officially started just this past January. So it's really our first really, you're really Okay, yeah. first of all, it's a great concept. I think people are going to love it. So my thought is, getting a little older, you know, we're talking about the heat. I'm not one of those guys that could have made it in the Depression in my best days. Right. So can anybody go out there? I mean, what are the requirements? I mean, can, can senior citizens go out there? Is it okay to have kids out there? How does that work? Yeah, really, we're for anybody because it's low-impact, non-elevation climbs, groups of 12 people or less, so we can go at their pace. You know, we're not, unlike the cruise ship industry, we're not forcing groups of people down the trail and have to keep moving kind of thing or step aside. We're out there. It's it's almost like a private tour. Yeah. You know, and I'll take one person out if they want to go. Really? So it doesn't matter if, if if you're older and you can, if you're physically able, like I said, it's non-elevation climbs. There's some slight grades, but we're not climbing mountains. And when people hear the word hiking, they get scared too. It sounds like you can walk these. We do. It's, it's low-impact strolls is the best way that I can explain it. <laughs> we can go at your pace. You want to sit down and rest? We'll sit down and rest. You want to turn around and go back? We can do that. But, <laughs> but I want to show you the rest of the tour. So we could we just go at your pace. Do you find that in these groups sometimes... It will steer whichever way people are interested. Like, for example, maybe they'll spend more time on the historical side or more side on the animals or the topography. Yeah, it really depends on, you know, once you're a tour guide, you learn to read people and their interest. If you're showing them something, you can tell whether or not they're interested. You field the questions. You, you let them steer it. It's almost customizable over a, a broad range of topics. And this seems like it really made sense for you as I talk to you i'm thinking you know, you're a captain you group with anything it's just it's kind of a leadership role it's it's not a militaristic type thing but just to lead people through and kind of help direct them in a place that they're a little unfamiliar with sure yeah it's uh being a captain helps being you know working in tourism helps and you just you're right you direct people and what? you let them direct you depending on on their interest 
Well, I, I know people are excited about this, uh, and you should be. And what are the best times of the year for that? Because I'm guessing, I mean, like you said, if you go over that early in the morning, that's probably okay here too. But what's the best time, the most popular, or spring and fall or what? Uh, spring is good because we get the desert blooms. You know, the cactus start to bloom. Depending on the weather, they can start in early, mid-April. And it's a pretty short season for the, for the cactus bloom. So by mid-May, they start to dry up. So, you know, any time in the spring or fall or throughout the winter, the beauty of doing desert tours is you can do it year-round. Really? So I was going to ask you, like, in January or something, no absolutely. problem? Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, summer is our slower time because, because of the heat. So we reduced the schedule to a 6 a.m. tour, so we're off the trail by 8 a.m. But summer would be our slower time. Right. We're Makes heading sense. into fall. September, we got some things coming up we're pretty excited about. Um, probably going to be hiring some guys. Got some expansion coming up. Are you excited about, of course, with the Raiders coming in next year? Uh, you're going to have people coming from all these different cities and so forth. Yeah. It might be a great opportunity for them to see parts of Nevada they never thought of. Absolutely. We will take them to parts that they didn't even know were there. Also, Lake, Lake Mead. I think a lot of people have heard Lake Mead. They haven't seen it. That's really a beautiful place, right? I mean, you can have a lot of fun out on Lake Mead, a number of things. It is. It was actually the first um, government-formed national recreation area, which was different than a national park. It's in the national park system, but because of Lake Mead, they created a national recreation area because they realized the potential of year-round activity with yeah. a lake in the desert. Yeah, it's really, it's really something. I always think uh, I lived in Los Angeles for a period of time, and I would drive out to Vegas. And you really realize when you're making that trip, once you leave Barstow and you don't see anything, that is a big desert. This thing is right is. in the middle of a it big. <laughs> it is. It, it's, it's the largest man-made lake in, in North America. It's, it's incredible. Okay, so folks want to go there. First of all, pricing. I, I was going through this stuff. It's some excellent pricing. I mean, it's really an affordable activity. We do because what we do, we, we're not on the transportation side of it specifically. So what we do, we offer a meet at the trail option, which reduces the price and makes it very affordable for people. You know, it's a fact. Statistics tell us that 60% of the people that come to Vegas are driving. Yeah, And then you add to that all the people that are Ubering and renting cars. So if you can get out to us, you have that affordable option. If you can't, we actually have a contractual agreement with Presidential Limousine. If you want to go out in style, we'll pick you yeah, up. Yeah, that's fun. We'll pick you up on the strip. We'll take you out and we'll put you in the dirt. And you can ride back in style and comfort, chauffeured limousine. You know, that's, part, that's great because that's really part of the Vegas experience. What better thing than, wow, we went out, we went crazy, went to this great restaurant, we danced all night, gambled. And the next day, we got in a limo and yeah. went out and saw nature. I mean, exactly. What a, what a great it's, it's, thing. It's the Vegas touch. So you get, you get, yeah. you get both worlds. You get the, the luxury, and then you go out in, in the dirt, and you go to a campsite from the 1920s. It's the, <laughs> it's the full spectrum. You feel bad about those people, and then you go back to your $300 a night <laughs> hotel suite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was tough. Well, okay, we, we got to do this. How do we reserve uh, time and so forth? Because I imagine there's a, you know, a lot of uh, – we don't want to miss the opportunity if it's a busy day or something. Yeah, on our website, www.roguehiking.us, you can book your tour. 
It's all there. The pricing's there. All the options are there. Everything is prepaid in full, and then we'll get the reservation. Once you make that reservation, you'll be contacted by me personally, by email and or phone. We'll confirm it. If you need, if you need transportation, we'll arrange it. It's great. Presidential Limousine tells me that they can have a, a limo anywhere in this town within an hour. That's incredible. And, and those are great limos, by the way. Just yes, as they a side are. note. Roguehiking.us. That's the interesting part. .us. Correct. We're going to be out there, Daniel. Thank you so much. Best of luck. In, Come on uh, out. We'll, we'll give you a tour. We'll, and we'll have to do something maybe in the wintertime and talk a little about the differences of the summer and winter. We look forward to it. You've been listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. With new shows loaded twice weekly. Got a guest idea? Email us at info at VegasNeverSleeps.com and catch the show live every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, coast to coast on the BizTalk Radio Network. Do you own a real business that makes real money? Not just an idea for a business but a real revenue-generating business. Then we have what every business needs to run and grow. Cash. Call the Business Cash Advance Line, and in just five minutes, you could be well on your way to securing up to $1 million in funding for your business. Use the money however you want. Try new advertising, buy inventory, purchase equipment, or pay taxes and other bills. Call now to secure up to $1 million in less than a week. The process is quick and easy. Call the Business Cash Advance Line to speak with an account manager now. Representatives are standing by, so if you need to get up to $1 million in working capital to grow your business, don't wait. Call right now. 800-445-1099. 800-445-1099. Call now. 800-445-1099. That's 800-445-1099. Looking for high-speed internet where you live but are out of reach of cable and fiber options? Look no further. High-speed internet is now available in your area as your local authorized HughesNet retailer, Whole Home Connect, makes it easy to get the high-speed internet you need with blazing fast speeds, unlimited data with no hard data limits, with built-in Wi-Fi for as little as $2 a day. Act now and for a limited time, get free standard installation and free equipment with HughesNet from Whole Home Connect. You'll enjoy internet service that lets you do more of everything you want to do online, like shopping, surfing, and staying in touch. Call Whole Home Connect and see for yourself why HughesNet is America's number one choice for satellite internet. 800-832-1508-800-832-1508-800-832-1508 That's 800-832-1508 